Hello, everyone, and welcome back to yet another episode of Wild, Messy, Infinite Love. My name is Eric Snader, a.k.a. Brother Snades, and I'm coming at you with episode 21 of the Wild, Messy, Infinite Love podcast. This one's title is called Video Game Spirituality Part 3, Harvest Moon, The Life-Giving Cycle. So, um, before we get into that, I just want to give a few quick updates It's been a little bit since I've been with you last, partly, mainly because of Thanksgiving break. So this past week was Thanksgiving here in the United States of America, um, and I spent it up in Pennsylvania spending time with my family. We were celebrating both Thanksgiving and Christmas with my side of the family, so it was a jam-packed weekend, lots of family time, not very good internet. So I didn't really have a chance to do podcasting last week. Um, I also, let's see, last Sunday I went to go see Hamilton in Richmond, which was incredible. This is the second time I've seen that musical. Oh my God, one of the best musicals I have ever seen. If you get the chance to see it, you have to. It is so good. Um, And I was also wrapping up a pretty busy week of work. I had to work last Saturday. I'm working again this upcoming Saturday. Um, not last Saturday, that was Thanksgiving Saturday. I had to work the Saturday before Thanksgiving. I have to work this upcoming Saturday, um, with my admissions gig. So I've just been kind of busy and I didn't really have time to do a podcast last week, but I am back yet again with another installment in the video game spirituality series. Um, this is something that I've really been enjoying and it's something that I'm hopefully, um, Hopefully, it's something that's been helpful for you as well. Uh, Other quick updates. I'm continuing on with streaming. Like I said, not only did I not really podcast last week, but I also didn't have any Twitch streaming going on because, like I said, I was out of town. So this week, I'm back to my normal schedule. Um, So I will be streaming back on my normal schedule, which is Tuesday nights, Thursday nights, Friday nights, and then the occasional weekend bonus stream. Um, So that's sort of the plan, Stan, up until Christmas break. Um, So I'll be with you for a couple weeks yet, and then I'll have Christmas break, and I actually have two weeks off, so I'm not going to be doing any podcasting. I might do some streaming if I have some free time and I feel like it, Um, but I'm mainly going to use that two weeks of Christmas to focus on some other stuff, focus on putting together um, notes for future podcasts. I'm going to focus on some other writing stuff that I want to do, some stuff that I have to do, including a big thesis paper for my seminary degree. So I'll be doing all of that kind of stuff over Christmas. So I might go radio silent again in a couple of weeks, but come the new year, I will be back with more content. Um, but until then, we've got a couple weeks, so I'll be right here, and I'm more than happy to um, chat with you and connect with you more about what we're talking about. But without further ado, Video Game Spirituality Part 3, Harvest Moon, The Life-Giving Cycle. Um, basically, so far, we've talked a lot about different adventure games, um, You know, games where you enter into the wide world and you confront your true self, you confront shadow, um, there's some sort of victory that's won over it. And this week, we're actually going to be talking about something a little different. 
we are going to be talking about the best farming game this side of the Mississippi. Uh, sorry for my bad southern accent. That's right, folks. We are talking about Harvest Moon. It is one of my v- most favorite farming simulator type games. So let's talk about it. So, Harvest Moon. Some of you might be thinking, oh my god, Eric, I'm so glad you're talking about this game. Others of you might be like, what the fudge and fudge is Eric talking about? Um, So, Harvest Moon. So, within um, the ether of Nintendo games, there's a very particular series which I grew up playing and absolutely loved. Possibly you did too. Yes, I played my fair share of Zelda, and I played my fair share of Madden, and I played tons of FIFA. I still play those games a lot. Um, I still played competitive adventure games and all that kind of stuff, but there's always been a really special place in my heart for the Harvest Moon games. So basically, the Harvest Moon games was a, they're a farming simulator where you're basically given a rundown farm and you need to make it nice again. And there's normally a small town nearby that you can interact with um, villagers with. You can create a family. You can build on to your house. You can build onto your farm. You can participate in lots of cool events. You can go fishing. You can harvest um, fruits and vegetables from your farm. You can go out into the forest and harvest plants and animals. You can harvest animals (laughs) Um, you can go out into the woods and you can go fishing and you can go into the mines and meet these cool little elf sprite things and you know you could do a whole bunch of stuff and obviously harvest moon is a series so there's multiple games of these started way back with the super nintendo and i think they're still making them as far as i know um the last one i played was it's a wonderful life on the GameCube. I think it was called It's a Wonderful Life. But the one, the Harvest Moon that I'll be focusing on today is the one that I played a lot of, um, arguably one of the better ones in the series. It is Harvest Moon 64. And particularly in Harvest Moon 64, there were a couple really main traits that when I reflect on that game stand out to me. So the first is this simple joy and peace that settles in as you're playing. Um, It's joy and what I like to call shalom, and we'll unpack that a little more. Um, But essentially, a main aspect of the game is creating and planting seeds in the ground. Shout out to you, Hamilton. Um, Then the second part is meaningful connection with the rest of the community around you. And with your farm and with your animals and with the earth and the creation around you. So another key concept or a key piece to the Harvest Moon games is the fact that there's a town that you can interact with. And the more meaningful connection that you, excuse me, that you build between the townspeople, the more meaningful connection that you build between you and the animals that you're raising and the ground that you're tilling and all this kind of stuff. Not only do you get better gear, but you also um, get cool interactions and 
um, sort of advanced Easter egg, so to speak, in the game. I know in Harvest Moon 64, um, there's a really cool piece to the game where if you build enough meaningful relationships with um, a particular set of people in this sense, in this case, it's um, the five different girls that you can marry in the game. Sidebar. Um, Harvest Moon, at least Harvest Moon 64, was very much oriented towards you're playing as a guy and you marry women. That's not necessarily where I'm at theologically. Like I said, I haven't really played any um, Harvest Moon games recently, so I don't know if they've changed whether or not you can choose between being a boy or a girl, whether or not you can choose to marry someone of the same sex. I don't know. I hope so. I hope they've kind of woken up to some of that. Uh, But in this particular case, you're playing as a guy and you're able to marry girls. Um, That's just sort of the traditional setting, I guess. Like I said, it's not necessarily a setting that I agree with, um, but it is what it is in the game. Uh, But anyway, off of my sidebar. So um, these meaningful connections, one of the cool Easter eggs you can get is if you build a strong enough relationship with all of these girls, you can actually get pictures taken with them and they go into your photo album. And it's a little... It's a little way of like bragging to your friends like, oh, I got all these pictures because I built all these important relationships with these people that aren't necessarily easy to build relationships with, all this kind of stuff. Um, so there's there's a lot of meaningful connection. Um, when you build relationships with people, your conversations with them change. It's almost like you're getting to know them better. It's like you're becoming friends with them in the game. Um There's another cool piece where um, the more, I guess, in communion with your farm and with sort of the earth and with like these earth spirits and these earth sprites, they actually come and bless your farm and when you help them out and like all this kind of stuff. So um, there's just a lot of really cool stuff that comes with meaningful connection in the Harvest Moon games. Um, And then the third piece that I resonate with is this game does a really good job of interweaving both work and life into the same cohesive story and game. So in the game, your work really revolves around your life and your life revolves around your work. Um, It's a very much symbiotic relationship between you and your farm and then you and the rest of the town and the people and the different festivals and that kind of stuff that are going on. So To quickly summarize, those three main traits then are what I would call joy, joyful shalom, um, meaningful connection, and then work-life balance. Um, So the other piece that I really like to um, focus on when talking about Harvest Moon, um, and obviously we're going to talk about how these things interact with our own lives, of course this wouldn't be a wild, messy, infinite love podcast if we weren't also bringing it down to our real life level. But one of the really interesting parts about Harvest Moon is that particularly with the N64 version, there's really no winning or losing. There's no real like end date. You don't like run up against, well, you need to get it all done within this specific time. You can play for years and years and years and years and just continue going through the cycle. Life simply goes on. And the way to win, quote unquote, win the game is to create 
the best life possible. And this life is achieved when you find that joyful shalom of working in the soil and the building of relationships, yes, including getting married and starting a family. And then also through not just working, but also enjoying that which is around you, like festivals, break times, going to the bar in the evening, etc. While there were definitely those Easter egg sort of achievements in the game, the game itself is not really achievement oriented. It's, you know, it's solely geared towards the player creating the life that they want to create. It's geared towards the player living their version of their best life. And that is one hell of a wholesome game, if you ask me. It's not competitive. It's not like go and, you know, you have to be like fixated on getting all this stuff and, you know, completing it 100% and like going through all these hoops and ladders to the point where the game is no longer enjoyable. The game is just, bro, or lass, go and fucking farm and have a good time doing it. Um, And that's cool. That's really cool. Um, That's something that I don't necessarily get to um, participate in very much when I'm playing games because I am one of those people who likes to um, go and like achieve everything and like do everything to the maximum effect and, you know, like winning and being competitive and all that kind of stuff. Um, If you've ever watched me play Dota, you can tell that I try to do the very best that I can and try to achieve well and, you know, like all this kind of stuff. So Harvest Moon certainly provides a different vibe for sure. Um, But like I said, um, Harvest Moon does a really good job of portraying these things um, throughout the game, you know, for Shalom, for Joyful Shalom. um, I mean, the main key aspect of the game is creating a beautiful farm and finding contentment in it. Um, You have a horse, you can get chickens, you can get cows, you can make lots of money if you want, um, or you can just quietly tend your fields. Um, There's there's not a lot of music, there's not a lot of loud, bright noises or anything like that. It's generally a pretty relaxing, peaceful game. And when I talk about this joyful shalom, I'm not just really talking about being quote unquote happy. Um, Obviously, our emotions vary from day to day to day. Um, But this joyful shalom, um, when I talk about it's it's something that's deeply rooted in a sense of contentment, um, some deep underlying energy and... um, You know, to borrow from that Hebrew word peace or shalom, um, joyful shalom is the sense of wholeness, as if in spite of everything bubbling around us, everything is as it should be. And in Harvest Moon, you start off with a pretty ramshackle farm, but there's joy and contentment in saying, yes, and this too will be fine. Um, And that doesn't mean that the player or the farm itself doesn't continue to grow, Um, and that's not to say that to be content is to say, well, I'm never going to grow because this is exactly as it should be. There's another aspect to joy. It's, it's a sort of contentment and wholeness that holds the world around it loosely. It is not just attached to keeping things the way they've always been because that leads to decay and suffocation. 
instead a joyful shalom type spirit um, lets you sit in that place and say, this is good and wherever it will go is good too, because that's sort of the way of life. That's the way of growth. That's the way the world works. If you look at your life, you are not the same as you were when you were five years old, but where you are now and where you were when you were five years old was as it should be. That's what joyful shalom, wholeness, this deep sense of seeing, this deep running energy of contentment says. It says, I will continue to grow, but until that point comes, I'll be fine with whatever's here as well. And let me say this outright as well. I am not super great at this. Um, If you remember the past um, a couple episodes ago where I talked about my summer of 2019, I think it's pretty clear to see that I am not always the best at just remaining rooted and centered in the here and now and being rooted and centered in this is okay. This is an okay space to be. Um, in reflection, sure, I got there, but in the moment, I was terrified and anxious and depressed and not in a really good spot. Um, but when we don't take the example of me and when we actually, (laughs) when we actually are rooted in this joyful shalom, the sense of joy roots us in something deeper and it's something that sways and moves and grows, but doesn't fall in the face of adversity. Um, this joyful contentment is what allows us to weather life's storms. So what does this look like for you? Um, What could this potentially look like? Um, So some of the things that I thought about when I thought about, well, what does joyful contentment actually looks like? It's the ability to look beyond that which is in front of you. Um, So particularly this past weekend, yes, Thanksgiving dinner, it could be really stressful. And sometimes, sometimes our relationships with our family can be harmful, um, or at the very least anxiety producing. Um, but in a lot of cases, this deeper sense of seeing through joyful shalom, like contentment, um, it allows us to look a little bit beyond the weird political and social views that our parents or our family members might have. Um, And it helps us to find contentment in the fact that you share a connection with your family Um, in some way, shape, or form. You're connected by blood. You're connected by spirit. You're connected by love with your family. Um, For instance, and I know that this is something that I struggle with very regularly, but many of my siblings have wildly different theological or political views than me, Um, not to mention my aunts and uncles. uh, My parents have a different religious view than me, and yet these people still share a very deep love and affection for one another. We all share love and affection for one another. Joy, Joyful shalom is the ability to hold it all, um, to be able to hold some of these, um, 
these differences at a distance and hold it loosely and say, yeah, some of this stuff that's being said, I don't agree with it. Some of this stuff I feel like this might be a little bad shit crazy, but you know what? I still love them. That's that's what I'm getting at when I'm talking about joyful shalom. And that's not to say that we should continually entering in, enter into harmful relationships. I mean, if your family is seriously harmful for you and your well-being, don't go back to that. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Um, it's not worth you putting yourself in harm's way um, if it's something that is that deeply disturbing and harmful for you as an individual, um, maybe you and your significant other, you know, whatever it might be. I don't mean to say that we should just take any harmful situation on and say, oh, well, whatever, I'm supposed to be content in this. Um, Like I said, joyful shalom also says, but it's going to be something different. There's going to be growth. There's going to be something that changes. Change is a natural part of life. And sometimes that change is removing yourself from the situation. Um, I hope that makes sense. Um, this this joyful shalom is also a deeper sense of seeing that's able to say the, the world around us is in chaos and climate change is real. But there's also hope to be found when you dig a little deeper. It's easy enough to just be overwhelmed by the despair of it all. But this deeper contentment, this deeper joy, this deeper shalom says, but there's still hope. The hope inspired by people like Greta Thunberg, um, for one thing, brings me a sense of hope and joy. Yes, I will continue to strive for ecological justice and all that jazz, but joy, joyful shalom is what helps me to not be crippled by despair. This joyful shalom is that deeper sense of being able to look at the world and its complexity around you and say, I found my place and space in this world, and this is where I am meant to be. Um, One of the things that I um, look back on that I experienced of this is when I was in college. So my sophomore year of college, I was going through a lot of changes, Um, I had been working at summer camp for three summers previously and about halfway through the year, I was thinking, okay, I'm going to go back and work at summer camp again this year, um, because that's just the thing that I do. And there was something inside me that was like, nope, nope, that's not right. That's not your place and your space in this world. Um, and that was terrifying for me, but there was... There was a moment where I had to go out on a limb. Um, there was a moment where I had to say, you know what? Change is coming, and I need to be okay with it. Um, so I just sort of let that wave sweep me through. Um, and there was an internship that I applied. F- there were a couple different job opportunities that I applied for for the summer, um, a couple internships that I could do for credit at school. Um, And then I was also applying for um, a study abroad semester in England, which was something that I always, 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 always wanted to do. Um, And I kid you not, within the same day, a couple months later, I got the, the job offer for the internship that I would end up doing for the next two summers at a church that shaped me very, very, very greatly um, in a lot of positive ways. 
But then I also got the the notification that I also was accepted into the study abroad program. Um, and it was in that moment where I just felt like, yeah, this is, this is it. This is the place and space that I'm meant to be in. Um, and looking back at that church that I worked with, obviously I'm a lot different than I was when I worked at that church. There's a lot of political and um, theological difference with where I'm at now and with where that church is now. Um, but this joyful shalom is saying, yeah, but that was still a moment of growth and that was where I needed to be. And there's contentment in that. Um, that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about this joyful shalom. It's saying, yeah, there's differences. Yeah, there's um, stuff that I don't agree with, but it's also something that contributed to my own growth. It's something that contributed to who I am today. It was something that was good at the time and I'm content in that. That's what I'm talking about. So in addition to this peaceful, joyful shalom um, and tied with it intimately is this idea, is a second idea of meaningful connection. So one of the beautiful aspects of Harvest Moon games is that you quite literally cannot really play the game as a single entity. You really need to be in contact with the village around you. Even if it's just to go into town and buy seeds, you're interacting with other people. Um, not only that, the game is enriched a hundredfold, if not a thousandfold, by building those intimate relationships with the people in the town. Um, you get to get recipes, you get to take pictures and put them in your photo album, um, you get cool gifts, um, you get unique items that you wouldn't be able to get anywhere else in the world, um, you get those sort of Easter egg moments, all of that kind of stuff comes with this meaningful connection in the game, it enriches the life of the game. And in the same way that meaningful connection enriches the life of the game, meaningful connection is also something that enriches our lives as well, because we all need some form of meaningful, meaningful connection with other human beings and with the earth around this. And I mean connection that is deeper than surface level. It's more than just idle chat around the water cooler. It's more than just the surface level. Hey, how's work? Cool. Cool. Yeah, that's cool. All right. Bye. Meaningful connection really includes vulnerability, oftentimes by both sides of the relationship. Um, so for instance, one of the most compelling storylines to follow in the Harvest Moon 64 game is the storyline with Karen. And Karen is one of the girls that you can marry, uh, but Karen is the vineyard owner's daughter. Um, and you have roughly about a year to convince Karen that there are meaningful connections to be made with her seemingly estranged father, with yourself, um, with the town as a whole. Um, if not, Karen leaves the game never to be heard of or seen again. And in the beginning of the game, she's really cold and angry and standoffish, and she doesn't really like talking to anyone. She most certainly doesn't like talking to the player. Um, however, as you get to know her, as you continue to build that connection, that meaningful connection, the walls start falling down and she grows more vulnerable. And with that vulnerability comes essentially a different character. Someone who is once standoffish and angry suddenly becomes energetic and passionate about what she's doing. 
Um, she's all of a sudden willing to be in connection with her father. She's all of a sudden willing to be in connection with the people in the town. Um, she really discovers something deeper within herself and it's the same within our own lives. Um, you know, it's certainly easy enough to keep ourselves walled off from the world. Um, but if we do that, it's as though, it's as though we are slowly disappearing and no one can really see us for who we are. Um, it's, it's sort of like that scene in back to the future where Marty is playing the guitar and his dad is working up the courage to punch Biff and kiss his mom. And he's slowly disappearing and he's looking at his family photo from the eighties and his family starting to disappear. Um, that's sort of what happens when we wall ourselves off from the world and refuse to make those sorts of meaningful connections, it really becomes as though we're invisible and no one really knows us or sees us. Um, and this continues into a vicious cycle of being angry and upset and anxious and depressed and a whole lot of other stuff. Believe me, if you listen to episode, what was it, 17, you'll know that I know this cycle really, really well. But when we have moments of vulnerability with others, there's some sort of meaningful connection formed. Uh, maybe it's the weight of just having your fears taken off your chest in the simple act of someone listening to you and not judging you for them. Uh, maybe it's a sense of this person knows or shares my experience. Maybe it's that sense of solidarity. Um, you know, during the height of the slave trade in America, slave owners attempted to keep enslaved peoples isolated from each other. And this, I think, is why so many families were separated. Um, they knew that if the enslaved peoples were able to have that meaningful connection with others that shared their story and experience, then they would be a lot harder to subdue. Their energy and passion would grow too much for them to put down. Um, despite this estrangement, despite the separation, um, the enslaved peoples found ways of standing together in solidarity and vulnerability. Um, particularly within the Christian household, um, this proved to be the birth of our modern day um, historically black church. And the black church to this day is one of the most vibrant and active Christian communities in the United States. That's what meaningful connection can bring. It can bring about radical change. It can bring about radical subversion of injustice and inequality. Um, meaningful connection, vulnerability, while it might be scary at times, is ultimately what brings us closer to others and ourselves. And with that, it brings a deep joy and connection with those that we have a natural tendency to be connected with anyway by virtue of the spirit of love which courses through us all, which I talk about all the time. We all need meaningful connection. Not only does it help us bring about systematic systemic change. It also helps us learn more about ourselves. It teaches us new lessons about who we are and what our place in this world is, all this kind of stuff. 
Um, without meaningful connection, we're just invisible people who have no voice, who have no one to see us. Um, so yeah, I'd say meaningful connection is a pretty big deal. And Harvest Moon does a really good job of portraying what that looks like in a very small sample size. Um, and then the third um, piece that I like to um, reflect on is work-life balance. And this is something that's always been particularly challenging for me. Um, I don't know about you, but this is, might be the hardest lesson to learn from this entire game. Um, you know, if you're anything like me, you do a really good job of separating your work time and your lifetime, but not in the healthy sort of amount where it's like, I really enjoy working, but now's the time for me to enjoy time for myself slash family. No, when I, when I talk about like my separation of work time and lifetime, it's, you know, there's my life over here in corner one which I mostly enjoy. And then there's work over here in corner two, which I kind of sort of hate with um, all of my being. And I literally want to avoid it at all costs. Um, and it creates this dichotomy to the point where um, my loathing for my work seeps into my life and vice versa. Um, that's not a healthy separation, friends. And one of the things that Harvest Moon does really well is that it gets across the point that work and life have a symbiotic relationship. Um, in my case, that symbiotic relationship oftentimes seeps over in negative ways. Um, but the point is um, the work-life balance is meant to play off of one another. Um, you know, like I shared in episode 18, my loathing for work was beginning to creep into my life. And at other times, um, our work is unavoidable and is something that we have to contest with seven days a week. Um, so there's, there's such difficulty striking that balance between how much do I work and how much do I rest and play? Um, and this is not to say that we should be spending all of our time at work because that leads to burnout and that's not sustainable. Um, but this is also not to say that we should spend all of our life not working either. Um, and I guess one of the things that might be helpful is defining what work actually is. Because if you're like me, oftentimes when you think of work, you think of, well, this is the office that I have to go into and I sit at this desk and I look at a computer screen for nine hours a day and then I come home. Um, for some people, that is work. Um, I would argue, if you're anything like me, that's not meaningful work, and it's not productive work, and it's not work that brings passion or energy or life. Um, if, if you're like me, then that work is not work at all. It is drudgery, and it is hell. Um, so I guess what I mean by work is that... Um, Work is something that our lives revolve around that um, focuses on our passions and our desires and our strengths that we can be putting to use. Um, you know, whether that is creative energies, whether that is ingenuity, whether that is leadership skills, whatever it might be, um, that is the work that I'm talking about. That thing that makes you feel this is my purpose. This is 
that thing that makes you feel that joyful shalom-like contentment where you say, this is my place and space in the world right now. Um, because ultimately we have to work. It's not okay to just simply let your life be left in this boring wasteland of rest and play because too much rest and play can prove to be harmful as well, just as too much work is harmful. And I don't think I really need to go into too many um, examples of how harmful overworking can be. Just look around you. So many people are working way too hard, way too long. Um, but like I said, too much rest and play can also be harmful. I mean, just look at the grandparents from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I mean, bed sores are a real thing, people. If we don't use our strengths and gifts and passions in the world, we end up losing them and we end up decrepit and we're uh, we end up unable to take care of ourselves, um, just like the grandparents from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And I think what Harvest Moon does really well is that it strikes this balance between work and life. The player takes enjoyment in using their talents and passions and strengths in tending the farm and growing and planting things, but the player also gets equal enjoyment in the connections with others and taking part in festivities and restful moments as well, such as sitting at the beach and participating in horse races and a whole slew of other opportunities, and they both play off of each other. The work that you do on your farm ends up um, coming out in the life around you and the life and play that you do ends up benefiting the work that you do on the farm. And that I believe is what a good work life balance should be. So if your work is something that is detracting from your life and your rest and your play and your family connections and your meaningful connections in the world, maybe it's time to find some different work. Vice versa, if life and play is detracting from the work that you should be doing in this world, maybe it's time to start thinking about, well, how do I balance this better? Um, and one of the really interesting aspects of all of these things that I've been talking about in this episode is that they all flow out of each other. So work-life balance flows directly out of meaningful connections and sort of that that um, the people that you know and the ability to be vulnerable um, and finding sort of that balance of, well, how much do I need to be participating in meaningful connection and how much of sh should I be focusing on the work that I'm supposed to be doing in this world? If we don't have the vision of meaningful connection, we don't understand that. Um, and alternatively, meaningful connection streams directly out of that deep sense of joyful shalom. Um, it's as though it's a flow chart and one moves on to the next and then it circles back on itself into this life-giving cycle. Um, I think that's part of what makes Harvest Moon so captivating, even though technically you're just playing 10 days of spring, 10 days of summer, 10 days of fall, 10 days of winter, and then repeating year on year on year on year on year. Um, it's because these meaningful connections and this deep joy and this work-life balance create sustainability and creates growth. Um, this is that life-giving cycle. Um, the antithesis to this, I suppose, would be the vicious cycle of anxiety, fear, and depression. 
Um, and that's, I mean, that's something that I get caught in a lot. And that might be something that you get caught in a lot as well. Um, in which case, I would point you to these three things. What is the point of joyful shalom and contentment in your life, which enables you to see deeper beneath the surface of surface level of your life? What's the thing that's going on in your life right now that you look at and say, this is this place and space that I'm supposed to be, or this is the place and space where I am right now and I'm going to this other place and space which is more expansive, more whole, more free. Um, what is that point of meaningful connection for you that brings you into that deeper sense of yourself and your place in this world? Who are the people around you who are supporting you? Who are the people that you're able to be vulnerable with and share your anxieties and fears with and really delve into where your contentment lies? And then how do these things impact your own understanding of not only your work in your world, your place in this world, but also how you continue to engage in the world in a restful and playful manner? Uh, maybe it's found in the simple act of playing a simple farming game like Harvest Moon. I don't know. These are, answer, these are questions that you need to answer for yourself. So I encourage you to follow these questions to the exciting conclusions that they might bring for you. Until next week, friends, peace and love y'all.